welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode 12, born on the 4th of July from 1989. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And Mike, before I introduce our guest, I want to give my distant past self credit and give my recent past self no credit, because <laughs> I had forever ago gone through a little document that keeps track of all the release dates and everything in terms of the guests and the scheduling times and everything, and I had marked off each movie that Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, nominated for or won an Academy Award. And so a long time ago, it was like, born on the 4th of July, Oscar nomination, best lead actor, make sure, basically to myself, make sure when we're previewing this next week, say, got a good one coming up for you next time, <laughs> Oscar nominated for the role. Guess what I did not do in Raymond? <laughs> talk about that. Remind us. <laughs> With us to talk about Tom Cruise's Oscar-nominated role mm. as Ron Kovic in Born on the Fourth of July, we have Mr. Jeremy Kelly. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Joey. Hello, Mike. Uh, how's it going? Welcome well. back to the Podcast Network. Welcome to Cruise Club and the Tom Tom Club for the first time. So glad you could join us for this very long, very good, very interesting movie, Born on the Fourth of July. Now, is this a movie that you had seen before? Four? Is that why you signed up for, or why did you sign up for this movie? Yes, I had seen this before because uh, I think prior to I had seen uh, Platoon for the first time, and it had become one of my uh, favorite movies. And figure, well, another Oliver Stone, Stone uh, war epic with Tom Cruise. It definitely sounded interesting. It is. I haven't seen Platoon in a long time. I saw that in high, in college when I was going through all of my greatest films ever made that I haven't seen phase. And so I saw that way back when. I know that he's made three Vietnam movies. Mike, you know how on the uh, Joe 2 podcast we play games like, you know, the Google autocomplete game and stuff like that? I took to Google while watching this movie and I typed, Did Oliver Stone? And three of the five autocompletes were basically about serving Vietnam. And mm-hmm. yes, he did. Absolutely. He did. served mm-hmm. two tours, I believe. I heard yeah. that, yeah. He knows what he's talking about. He's a man who, uh, he's not just talking the talk, he also walked the walk. Man, oh man, this movie is a lot. And uh, before we get into it, before we get into the heart of the matter, I have a question to ask you, Jeremy. It's a question we ask all the guests when they come on for the first time. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite Tom Cruise movie? And do you remember the first one that you saw? Ooh, off the top of my head, I would say my favorite would be probably be Rain Man. Oh, okay. We just covered that last episode. Great movie. As far as the first one I saw, what comes to mind is probably War of the Worlds. Okay. Very cool. Did you know, a little bit of trivia for you, did you know that Channing Tatum was cut out of of War of the Worlds? I did not know that. He plays Alter Boy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. Over on our Channing Tatum podcast on Magic Mike's Joe 2 and I watched the entire War of the Worlds movie, like, looking at every scene, every shot for Channing Tatum only to find out later that he was cut out of it. Uh, But at one point, you see a church, and I think maybe aliens destroy it. I don't remember. (laughs) Alter Boy Channing Tatum, not in the final movie. I I assumed that he hadn't been in in anything before uh, Coach Carter. It was the same year as Coach Carter. This was his second movie, or like his second credit on IMDb. He was uncredited as Alter Boy, and he did not make the final cut. Uh, We've not gotten to that here. Uh, on Cruise Club. We will get to that eventually. But Jeremy, is he the kind of, you see a lot of movies in theaters and stuff and a lot of new releases. Is Tom Cruise the kind of actor that when you see a new movie of his coming out, you're like, oh yeah, I want to see that because I love him? Or is it sort of a a movie-by-movie basis for you? It's sort of movie-by-movie. Like, I I don't think that much of him as a person, but uh, he always seems to end up in some really, really good projects. You know, the one that comes to mind over the last few years is uh, Edge of Tomorrow. 
which is the actual yeah, title. A lot of people it, that it, one. It's, it's not live, die, repeat. It's edge of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a great one. We have a lot of people who say, you know, of, of, the, of the stuff he does, he's done recently. A lot of people love the Mission Impossible movies, but I think, Mike, uh, the one that people say more often than anything else is probably edge of tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. And I skipped ahead and rewatched that recently, actually, and <laughs> it's awesome. So I can't wait to get to that on the actual show. It's going to be fun. And uh, you know, a proposed sequel in, is being planned now. So live, die, repeat, and repeat. <laughs> yeah. So now, Mike, you had, have you seen this movie before? I'm alone in having hmm. never seen this, right? Well, I have a very sort of strange relationship with Oliver Stone movies growing up. Um, like, I, I think I was first introduced to him with Natural Born Killers, right? And um, looking back on it, that movie is just way ahead of its time as far as like the mixed media components and the cinematography and editing style and stuff. And I, it kind of turned me off back in the day. I couldn't get into his movies. Like, I couldn't really get into The Doors. I didn't... I remember JFK was huge, but it's well, I think because so The long. Doors is not a good movie. Well, that too, possibly. But then I saw Platoon, and I was like, holy shit, this movie's fucking amazing. This is the best Vietnam movie I've ever seen. And then I was like, oh, Oliver Stone served in Vietnam. Okay, this makes more sense. And then I sought out uh, this movie. And, like, I was a teenager. I turned this on, and I couldn't get past like the first 40 minutes like as soon as he got to Nam, i think and got injured i think i turned it off I was, there's something about it out of fear or what well, it was like a combination that was creeping me out like i was getting like a david lynch vibe from that first 30 minutes that just made me creeped okay. out like there's this like twisted nostalgic sort of look at good old america and all that and I, it was just freaking me out i think and not that it was bad it was just freaking me out dare i say it, you were a little bit like our boy nicholas cage in the best of times worried about <laughs> war right exactly yeah i just didn't maybe because it was like uh, it was switching gears so hard like it was that like sort of idyllic sort of stuff and then we get into the nightmare of vietnam where it's like a real nightmare but anyway nevertheless like i had not revisited that movie yet until recently for this show so this is the first time i've seen it all the way through wow okay i think it's incredible but i'm not sure how many more times i have it in me to watch this again like it's brutal it's brutal it at is. times where it like, is. i was just yeah. losing it left and right so losing I- it <laughs> I get what you mean about the opening. It's very uh, like uh, Spielbergian and just how like almost corny it is with the uh, John Williams music and cinematography and fight for your country, fight for America, offset by just, you know, the brutality of, mm-hmm. of, of war in general. Yeah, there's something about like the propaganda uh, like slant to that opening, I feel. You know, it feels like a commercial yeah. in a lot of ways uh, for the way America should be and all this shit. But then, you know, the reality of war and all that juxtaposed with, you know, his home play. It's just great the way it clashes. And I also was getting sort of a Terrence Malick vibe from that opening. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know? So, yeah, I thought it was working this time for sure. I don't know that this necessarily works, what I'm about to say, but it kind of feels like the you versus the guy she told you not to worry about. And it's like Top Gun on one hand and this on the other hand. Because they're <laughs> both like, hey, join the military. And then Top Gun is like, you could be a real cool guy, like banging <laughs> real cool chicks and like flying real cool planes and like singing real cool songs with your real cool buddies. And then this movie is like, or you could murder your friend and get shot and paralyzed and then be disillusioned by everything you come across for the rest of your life. It's like, oh, huh, well, uh, maybe I shouldn't join the military? Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. And I think Oliver Stone is very aware. And there's such like a patriotism. It's almost nationalism, you know, and I think he's trying to warn people by that, like the way the recruiters come and get in your mind and make you feel like you have to fight for your country. Tom and, like, Bergeron. They're not even 
and yeah. your reasons, right? Like you get like this bug in your head and they tell you to go to war and fight for your country. And then, you know, it's the rude awakening, which I think Oliver Stone likes a lot in his films too. Is just, you know, when the shoe is on the other foot or stuff like that happens. Did you say Todd Bergeron? You mean Tom Berenger? Tom Berenger, yes. Not Tom Bergeron. Not the host of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> I got so excited that I knew somebody because I saw him in the credits and then I even got it wrong then. So uh, good catch, Jeremy. So Jeremy, one thing that we uh, we do on the on the show especially for this movie. I think it's going to help for this movie because this movie is so sprawling. It's so grand in scale. Tom Cruise is basically on screen the entire two and a half hours. There's so much to discuss that we're trying to sort of narrow things down a little bit. So if you had to, this is a difficult question, maybe. If you had to pick a favorite moment or a favorite scene, what would you say is your favorite part of Born on the Fourth of July? You know, when I was um, re-watching this movie, uh, even going in, the uh, one scene that I always remembered is uh, after he uh, Ron uh, comes home from the uh, club and he's drunk and he and, and just when he starts like shouting with his parents uh, about how betrayed he he feels about or, or by uh, his country and then the uh, part that always stuck with me is just him him, him shouting penis 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 <laughs> yeah. Don't say penis in this house. Oh penis, oh, penis, big fucking erect penis, oh. mom. You know what's crazy about that scene is earlier in the movie, his mom finds the Playboy because he never got the chance to have sex, right? And like (laughs) sex in his household was so taboo and forbidden. And here he is in his living room screaming about how he he lost his prick in uh, Vietnam and he's screaming penis throughout the house at his mom and stuff. So that was that was very strong. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out to uh, Cara Gail O'Regan, who is the co-host of Wistful Thinking. She was uh, at one point was going to join us on this podcast and then just schedules didn't quite align. I recorded an episode with her yesterday of her show with her and Jordan. Uh, we did Lost Highway, which is a wildly different movie than this movie. Um, also, almost as long. But uh, <laughs> we were talking about this movie briefly and she's like, all I remember is Tom Cruise shouting penis in the movie. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about yet, <laughs> but I will soon. There we go. That is uh, a memory memorable scene to be sure Jeremy Mike what about you what's your favorite part of Born on the Fourth of July I mean I hope this isn't a cop-out or anything but I just love the way this movie is shot like it is gorgeous Uh, and and every location has sort of like a unique look to it like America is is very Norman Rockwell lots of sort of slow motion and lots of just perfect lighting and everything and uh, it looks like, you know, a commercial for, for America, and that's great. But then when he gets to Nam, it's like all this, it looks like hell. It's like all these silhouettes over the orange skies and everything. And it's one of the best, and we're on the beach too, which normally in Nam we're in the jungles and stuff. So, you know, I think this and Apocalypse Now are the only two times I'm, I'm reminded that there was so much beach uh, battles going on so I really enjoyed that you know like when he goes uh, south of the border with Willem Dafoe and everything like he gets real blown out I feel and I just really enjoyed the way that he was sort of using the different styles to sort of represent the different places and it's not like super overt like I don't think it's meant to be caught but for me just someone who watches so many movies and stuff I was like whoa this is really clicking with me setting me in this place like especially when he's like in the war uh, hospital tent in Vietnam I'm like holy shit like this is <laughs> this is brutal. Um, that's my word of the night, by the way, brutal. So I think I think one thing that's supposed to be intentional, and this is something that was very highly upvoted in the IMDb trivia, is the color palette of the movie, that a lot of the mm, war is yeah. shot in red, a lot of the stuff at home is shot in blue because he's depressed, and a lot of the dream sequences are in white. And so there's the red, white, and blue sort of triptych montage ode to America, yeah, if you American will. Flag. Yeah. 
I don't know if you knew who shot this movie. Shot by Robert Richardson, who shot a bunch of Oliver Stone's movies, JFK, Platoon, Natural Born Killers, this movie. He's also now, apparently, uh, Tarantino's cinematographer. Did Bastards, oh, Django, nice. both Kill Bills, his new one, Once Upon a Time in, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hateful Eight. Like, this guy has shot a lot of beautiful-looking movies. So, Robert Richardson, you know what you're doing, sir. Keep it up. Um, also, Casino, uh, Wall Street, Bringing Out the Dead, shout out Cage Club, oh. and even A Few Good Men coming up in a couple movies, another movie about the Marines, where Tom Cruise, once again, gets an Academy Award nomination. So, <laughs> Robert Richardson, all over great movies. I have two favorite parts, sort of. I don't know, this is, this is really kind of a difficult movie to have a favorite part, because yeah. so much of this, to steal your word, Mike, is brutal. And good, right? Like, yeah. There's very few bad moments, like, I mean, technically bad moments, I guess. Yes. The first one I love, and we will get to this much later, but when he runs through the rain to oh, dance yeah. with baby Kira Sedgwick, and just like, <laughs> later in the movie, it has the extra weight. He's like, I must have known somewhere inside me that I would never get this chance again. But just the the youthful exuberance of choosing to skip prom because he didn't ask her in time, and then he is sitting at home and sort of his dad has given him shit or whatever. And then he runs through the rain in his regular clothes to dance with her. And she says, yes. And I love that. And then I think right from there, we cut to Vietnam. So like, it's this real sort of deer huntery, like wedding. And then all of a sudden we're in Vietnam. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My other favorite part is just the end. Like I, I love, I love the end of both of these like chapters of his life and just how he's gone. He's been dragged through the mud figuratively and literally he's getting, you know, spit on, by Willem Dafoe, by people at the Republican National Convention, and yet he still has this come up, that the thing that was shown in the beginning of the movie that they that Oliver Stone chooses to re-show at the end, his mom saying to him, you know, I had a dream where you were just like JFK, like speaking to a crowd of people and just saying something important, and him at the 1976 Democratic Convention, as Ron Kovic, the guy who wrote the book that this is based on, who co-wrote the screenplay, or maybe just, or was just involved somehow. I think he co-wrote the screenplay. I, I, I remember yeah. seeing the uh, credits. There's some crazy trivia where he won, like, uh, I think it was a Golden Globe, you know, years later, but on the same day that he was injured. Oh, wow. Like, okay. on the anniversary of his injury. <laughs> but I just love how this ends. Like, he has gone through so much, and people still don't understand. Like, even people who... This, this basically the entire second half of this movie is just people not understanding other people. And I think yeah. it's just whether they're... I don't know why someone who fought in the war is now against the war. I don't know how someone who could love this country could be against the war. And even he's wrestling with that. And I just love the way that it all comes to a head at the end where he's in a good place and proud of himself and able to speak on it. And it's what Kira Cedric was asking him to do when they're at the university. And there's like the riot that breaks out. Like she just wants him because she knows how important it is for someone who was, who went over there, who served his country willingly, got shot, got paralyzed, essentially not lost at all, but lost a lot. And then for him to be so openly against the war and, you know, whatever, like, it means a lot. Like, it, it, there's such significance and weight to it. And I think the movie does a really good job of showing that. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. He goes from love it or leave it to stick around and fix it, basically, right? Like, that was one of his big things. Yeah. Was, love it or yeah. leave it, love it or yeah. leave Like, he's yelling at his brother, right? Like, his brother, who's the activist and stuff. And, like, that that's a really interesting dynamic. But, yeah, I agree. Like, you really... This movie does a great job of charting his arc and like hitting all like the important beats and not just like skipping to them and like skipping over stuff, but like actually building to them. And like there's like several major moments in his life that really land really well in this movie. So I was very impressed. Yeah, one thing that uh, struck me, and I don't want to get uh, too political here, but uh, how 
timely and relevant some of these uh, uh, comments that are made throughout the movie oh, yeah. are. Like, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't like it, then just get out. That uh, There's a response in this movie that, no, we want to try to make things better. We don't want to just, you know, uh, sweep it under the rug and act like everything is okay. Like, if there's a problem, then we need to do something about it. Yeah, I mean, everything is kind of cyclical, right? Like, there's there's waves of Democratic lead and then Republican lead and you know, things, there's, the, the country ebbs and flows in certain ways, and I feel like movies like this, that, but a lot of the songs that, like, Radiohead, for instance, my favorite band, wrote about the Bush era are suddenly relevant again, you know what I mean? And it's, there's always going to be parallels, like, if you're awake to it, and you're, if you're able to see it, like you did, Jeremy, like, there's, you know, there's comparisons, and there's similarities for good and bad, like, how are we do, how are we dealing with this again, but at the same time, like, if we got through it once, we can get through it again. So now, Jeremy, on the, on the uh, flip side of the coin, if you had to pick a least favorite moment, and it could be something that just you know it's to, to once again seal Mike's or too brutal that you never want to watch it again, or just something that didn't quite work for you, or just something about the movie that didn't feel right. Like, is there a least favorite part of yours? Uh, you want to come back to me? I just need to think about it. Uh, while you think about it, I want to uh, point out a couple things, Mike, real quick. Is this the first time that we've seen uh, a young Tom Cruise, like a, a different actor playing Tom Cruise? Ooh. Tom Cruise's character? It might be. Yeah, we've seen young Hanks a lot. Like, you know, it was on the, the boat and Splash. Yeah. He goes mm-hmm. overboard there, and there's a couple other ones I'm thinking, but I think this is. And this kid, he looks like young Tom. Like, he's got the... <laughs> The, the, the life to him and like that just the, the looks and the smile kind of and the I think my, my favorite part that the little kid does is when little baby like truly baby Kira Cedric not just you know baby Kira Cedric in actual 1989 <laughs> but 10 year old Kira Cedric kisses him and she she's like did you like that he's like I don't know look how many push-ups I can do and he's just like <laughs> down the ground like it just I just thought that was so funny and so specific and I feel like that must have been something that actually happened around Kovic's life that just you know <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not into girls yet but like look how much of a boy I am you know what I mean so typical boy he just wants to show off a lot of boys show off to get the girl but he already got the girl and he just still wants to show off <laughs> it shows his innocence you know what I'm saying like they're yeah. really yeah. doubling down on that I feel in the opening there and, it, and it's good that they do because he needs to have he needs to have the realization later in life like he needs to carry that innocence with him for a long time right it takes a lot for him to open his eyes and become aware of what's happened i like that we see him in high school as a wrestler and not only a wrestler but a wrestler who loses like i feel like you know when you're when you're the when you're the star you're the hero of your story that you don't generally see them lose like you see him as like a peak physical specimen you know climbing up ropes and working out and running and everything and then you see him in this championship match or this, you know, county match or whatever, and he loses. It's like, oh, what? Like, that's that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe <laughs> training for later in the movie. Like, things are not going to go his way. I don't know. Was that before or after he joined up to the military? Because I thought maybe he felt so much like he disappointed his mother and his I family and everybody. I think it was before, everybody. yeah. That was maybe before. That maybe he's like, we don't really get this, but maybe I brought this to the movie myself, that, like, he doesn't have that self-worth or feel like he's worth anything anymore because he's a loser and, and everything. And, like, Kira Cedric is going out with another guy. You know, like, there's a lot of stuff. They're sort of stacking the deck uh, against him a little bit in high school. And so I thought maybe that's why he joined up. I thought about it. And the uh, scene, I'm not even sure if it's my least favorite, but it's one of the more unpleasant moments that I remember. It was another one that I remembered going back into this movie or just the moments at the Veterans Hospital where it's just the most disgusting, deplorable yeah. conditions. And then you know, he's, 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 tr- yeah. he's trying to 
make himself walk again, and, and he only ends up, you know, breaking his uh, his legs even more. And, you know, I wanted to bring this up earlier because I don't want to talk more politics or anything, but, like, that just reminded me of, like, the Walter Reed stuff we were hearing about, you know, just a few years ago also, and, and just the deplorable conditions that veterans come home to. And, like, even when they're welcomed back, there's just the where's the money to, like, take care of them? And, you know, nowadays there's so many more... Uh, like amputees and stuff like that too and so it's i just saw this sequence and i was like it's like this still but probably even worse <laughs> like, you know, that, i think that's also one of my least favorite parts of the film jeremy and like not just because it's so well depicted but because it's so hard for me to like comprehend how we can treat how they could be treated like that yeah they love to use the veterans to to uh, push a narrative but they don't put as much stock into actually treating them with the uh, dignity that they really deserve. Mm -hmm. There are parts of that scene that I do like. Like, I really like his self-determination that he's like, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk out of here. And like, he doesn't mm -hmm. obviously, yeah. but I, the fact that he, the character he's playing, you know, Ron, the, the real person. And also Tom Cruise is the actor able to like get around so quickly on those crutches. It's like, that's impressive. You know, I think I might want to nominate that later, Mike, for most athletic feet because he is yeah. flying <laughs> around that room on crutches. Yeah. Uh, there was something also that I read that he and Oliver Stone wanted to actually paralyze him, like with a with a some kind of serum, <laughs> but they couldn't find something that was safe. But they wanted to make him so that he couldn't walk. Like, but this is just him acting, if you will, for lack of a better word. But they wanted to actually paralyze him. I'm just like, what? Relax, guys. Like, act a little bit. Boy, I mean, oh boy. Like, yeah, you hear about them nowadays. He wants to like go to the moon for Mission Impossible. And shit. <laughs> it's like I get that nowadays, but back then they were talking about like, let's go. Like we're, I didn't realize he was that method. Like, oh, and just like all the stunts you see him do for these uh, Mission Impossible movies, like hanging off of airplanes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, what about you? What was your least favorite moment? I think that one that Jeremy picked is definitely up there for me. Just, but if you had to pick a different moment or a different part of the movie that you didn't like, or maybe that didn't work well for you, uh, what was it that you yeah. didn't quite like about this movie? Hmm. Like again, this is tough because it's not like I hated this part. I just kind of felt like it was maybe in the wrong place. I don't know. There was something like I, I felt like it was an important moment that didn't come across as important enough on screen in the grand scheme of the movie. And that's when he goes to the house of the family of the soldier that he killed, yeah. the friendly fire. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm getting ready to, I'm reaching for the Kleenex preemptively, right? And then <laughs> it never happens. Like I don't get the punch in the gut. I don't have huh, okay. like the catharsis. And I, I mean, maybe it's there. Maybe it's just me and maybe I'm just exhausted at that point. I like what it's trying to do because he's come, he's not delusional anymore. He's sort of come clean to himself and he's like, I'm working through this process and this is part of the process and like people have told him like he goes to his superior in Nam and says he did this and the guy's like I don't need this shit you didn't do this just fucking forget about it and all that and I'm sure he tried to so I like what the scene represents I just wish it had more impact for me I hope that's not a cop out because no, it's not a bad scene but like it just for me it didn't work as well as I had you know hoped it I think it ties into what I was about to say like my least favorite moment really has nothing to do with the movie but it just sort of with Oliver Stone's style of making movies is that like the movie is so sprawling and it's mm -hmm. so big and it's so sweeping in terms of time and space and emotions and experiences. I think for the most part, like it really works, but I think at the same time, it's also exhausting. Like I think that there's just so much happening and it's impressive as hell that he's able to keep it all together as well as he does. And it's not him. Like, that's not just not his style, right? But, like, if he told a more focused narrative, like, this could be even better. 
Yeah. But I think the movie he wants to make wants to cover so much ground, and he does so much of it so well, but I think by the end, or even somewhere in the middle or whatever, where you're just like, wait, where, like, where, physically, where are we right now? Because we're jumping <laughs> yeah. around in time and place, and now all of a sudden he's in Mexico. Like, we had heard about going to Mexico, but now he's there. But, like, it doesn't come out of nowhere, but it's at the same time, it's just, you just gotta stay on your toes, and, like, for a movie as long as this is to sort of have to be as engaged as you are the entire time, it's a lot. And that's not mm-hmm. a bad thing because it works. Like, it's effective filmmaking, I think. But it's at the same time, it's just, this is a lot that's happening. I thought um, the movie could have been cut down a bit. Going back to what you were saying before, I think that the first, like, 30 or 40 minutes goes at a very slow pace. And then around the time when he gets back home, it's suddenly on uh, fast forward, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was really surprised, like, how soon he was in. He was in Vietnam within, like, 25 minutes, you know? And he was out of Vietnam in another 25 minutes. I was like, wait, I thought this was a movie about Vietnam, and it and it's about Vietnam. It's just not a, a war film over there that takes place. The, you know, like, I had sort of thought, like, we were going to spend way more time there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I almost feel like it could have sort of taken a little more time Time in the beginning and a little less time with the rest of the movie like it just it, like it's interesting I think maybe it, it feels a little slower and I understand that like stylistically I get that and stuff but like I almost felt like they were rushing a little bit through some of the earlier stuff and then drawing out like a lot of the like he's at that hospital I understand he's there for a long time but he's there for a long time like it takes him forever to leave the country and then I mean like I was just I agreed with you Joe I was just like where am I exactly right now <laughs> for every once in a while you know that's not to say that like it, it doesn't work it's just from time to time I was spatially disoriented and like it's I think I think we're all in, in agreement that it's not a bad thing it's just Maybe more focus. I don't know. But I also, again, I've never made a movie. Even if I did, I would not make a movie as good as this one. So I'm not but this, criticizing. But This know. is kind of Oliver Stone's... This is one of the things he does. I mean, it's weird when we watch World Trade Center how straightforward that film is because most of his movies, you know, like JFK and Natural Born Killers, like, they're these long-ass, like, three-hour, five acts going on, like, several... Like, sprawling. Like you said, like, he loves to make these types of movies. And unfortunately, like, they don't always work just by their nature, right? Just because they're so loaded with so much, like, you really have to have a lot of tech. Like, I think of Tarantino, like, he can tell sprawling movies and they seem super breezy. You know, it's they can be hit or miss. But I think that's because Tarantino wants to entertain and Oliver Stone doesn't necessarily want you to have fun. Well, that's a good point, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I think, that. I mean, it, he might. Like, there's, there's parts of this movie that are fun, both in the good times and the bad times, right? Like, there's parts mm-hmm. of this movie that are legitimately enjoyable and fun and funny and stuff, but it's just a different purpose. Like, you're watching it yeah. for a different reason. He's making it for a different reason. Like, he wants yeah. to put his middle finger up to the big military machine or whatever and, you know, the Vietnam War in general and... Right. No, yeah, and then Tarantino creates, like, the alt-history and yeah. World War II, right? Like, yeah, they're coming in from different directions, right? Yeah, Tarantino's Vietnam War is, like, where we win Vietnam quickly. We're just like, oh, yeah, we'd storm on in there. <laughs> you know, it was justified <laughs> and everything. Who knows? It's like all Watchmen. They're the 51st state now. <laughs> Did you notice a very familiar face if you are a fan of Lost and also a very familiar face if you know Tom Cruise's family? One of his, his platoon mates in Vietnam is William Maypother. Wow. He's in maybe one shot. Uh, he played, of course, Ethan in the first season of Lost. I just, I had to look him up because I saw his face. I was like, that he looks the same. Like, he looks like younger him, but he's still Ethan. And, like, when they're in that <laughs> hut or whatever where they find that they gun down the family, he's on screen for maybe a half a second. I was like, there, 
Ethan, there we go. <laughs> That's crazy. There were two people that uh, I noticed. So one went on to become a, a star is uh, the uh, widow of uh, of Wilson, who Ron accidentally killed in the beginning. Uh, she's played by Lil- Lily Taylor, oh, yeah. who has gone on to be in the uh, Conjuring. And the other name, much more briefly, but I, I definitely heard his voice, was uh, Wayne Knight. He, he appears um, at the very end. John C. McGinley, right? Yeah, McGinley. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Yeah, the one of the Bobs from... Office space. And he's also in Platoon. And so was Tom Berenger, and so was Willem Dafoe. I mean, like, I feel like we're getting a look at sort of his rotating cast a little bit. It's yeah. Like I don't, even, I don't even know if we see John C. McGinley's face. Like, I think we just hear him oh, say, yeah, like, for a split sir, second. we're ready for you or something. I saw it for, like, a split second. I noticed uh, when he first comes back from Vietnam, and he's in the, the hospital, the Veterans Hospital, and they're watching on TV, and he's still gung-ho, Patriot, USA, USA, USA. And they're watching the protests on TV, and he's cursing the people out. He's like, you know, love it or leave it. There's people in the background. And he also later plays with, he plays pool. But, like, people have pool cues. People later are playing pool. And it's just like, oh, wildly different story than The Color of Money. But once again, <laughs> billiards weaving yeah. their way into a Tom Cruise narrative. Yeah, that, that scene was intense because, like, there's the other Marine there who's telling him to, like, stop whining and be such a baby. And then that he Tom Cruise, like, just lunges at him, right? They start, like, a... Am I mistaken? Like, the, he tries to start a bar fight over that? And it's just like, holy shit, like, so far gone. It's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeremy, we've got a very important question for you. Shoot. If you ordered a hamburger and found out that the middle of the hamburger was missing meat, <laughs> uh, I usually get my burgers plain, so uh, I wouldn't have anything on it to uh, hide the, uh, the effect that... Oh, you would definitely notice that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That guy is. That guy says he like saves, what, $40,000 a year on meat? I was like, there's no way. Well, so, because what he does... And by the way, that's... I recognize that guy as Styles from Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf, I was like, yeah. I never knew that kid worked again. Okay. Like, He's great in this, but I think it was a double cheeseburger, right? So he's like, you don't need two of those patties. You take one patty, you get the single burger instead of the double. But I was like, dude, what is this, like, Mr. Penny Pension character? <laughs> well, he's saying so that funny. he takes, he, he can make 18 burgers out of what other companies make 16 out of. And so he's able oh, that's to... that's right. He puts so he's, the holes in the burger. He puts the holes in the donut hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like, he's running a, a, a smart kind of con, not a con, but just like he's got his waitresses in mini skirts. He's like, oh, they won't even notice. They got the skirts around. That's why they come back. It's like, oh, okay. My guess. Pre hooters. You know, it's working <laughs> for you, yeah. Mike, you know how much I love David Ehrlich's year end videos and, you know, oh. all those year end <laughs> countdowns. Take a drink. Take a drink. <laughs> Years before. There was this video that I found on YouTube, and I don't remember why. They might have shared it on Slash Film. I don't know what. But it was this video called Top 100 Films, and it was like a minute, 55 seconds. And it was basically a cut, a second, of 100 different movies. This guy's Top 100 Movies. And so I have so much of this just burned into my brain. In that video, the, the scene from this movie, the thing from this movie, is just Tom Cruise in the wheelchair yelling Donna at the riot. And so when he said that in the movie, it's like, oh, I know this, but that's all. Like, I don't have context for it. I didn't know what movie it was from. I just huh. knew him yelling, and I didn't even know it was Tom Cruise because he doesn't look like, like, aside from the fact that this is his first, like, real, truly hardcore, dramatic role, I mean, Rain Man is 
close, but this is like next level. Yeah, definitely. to the point where like the studio didn't know if they should cast him in this because they didn't know if he could handle it. Spoiler, he did. But not only is he acting differently than he has before, he looks different. Like longer mm-hmm. hair, scruffy beard, mm-hmm. real long beard. Like he's all over the place hairstyle wise. I didn't recognize him in the in the the three quarters of a second in that video that I saw so many years ago. But I had burned to my brain him yelling Donna twelve years later or whatever. I finally have a little bit of closure. I don't think of Tom Cruise as the guy who covers up, right? Like, I, not that I feel like he's vain and stuff, but I just don't feel like he goes that extra mile to, like, do the makeup and shit. And there were times in this movie where I was like, where's Tom Cruise? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> there he is. Like, he's <laughs> hidden under, like, you know, he's balding, but he's got the long hair and then the mustache. And I was like, oh, right. He's playing a real guy, and this is what the real guy looked like. It never occurred to me, especially up in, you know, to the point we're at now, Joey, so far, that he would sort of chameleon like that. Like, I didn't think he had it. It's weird. And later, as Ethan Hunt, he'll wear all those masks and stuff, right? But, like, we haven't seen him do something like this yet, and I thought it was kind of remarkable how well it was working for me. I thought it would start to wear on me and seem goofy that he's got this mustache and this certain look, but he looks just like the fucking guy. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, as as weird as this probably sounds, he almost, in all of his movies, he nearly always looks like Tom Cruise and in, in this one he doesn't well I mean to yeah. be fair when you look like Tom Cruise why would you not want to look like Tom Cruise you know what I mean like <laughs> if I looked like if I looked anywhere like Tom Cruise I would try to look like that all the time except for maybe Tropic Thunder well yes maybe like this is sort of yeah. a, a continuation of just this in, in a very weird dark way but like if you look on Letterboxd like the the banner photo for this movie is him with the long wispy beard like the long hair like he looks crazed you know it's yeah it's straight like this is the i think it's the image like the visual style that is associated with him like he's got his top gun-esque you know young handsome about to conquer the world looks in this movie but then there's also this a long most of the movie is him in a way that like you do not want to see like he's too depressed i think to take care of himself and then he just sort of like owns it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then by the end he's sort of political sort of with the the longer groomed hair and everything but man oh man like it is wild different kind of uh looks for him it's interesting too how the character sort of shifts like you could kind of see he he's a bit vain more like they could have gone further with it and i wish they did but like even in nam when we get there he's like i'm already on my second tour like i'm hot shit like follow me kid i'll take you through the paces and then what does he end up doing like slaughtering a fan family right that like unarmed innocence by accident and shit and it's just like maybe that's one of the first moments where he's just like uh i'm not like hot shit or anything so like i feel like when he comes back to america he just stops caring about his appearance uh what people like really think of him like he just really gives up on himself um and then at the end and i think you're right like he owns that look especially when he gets down to mexico and he meets the rest of sort of like the washout guys in the wheelchairs and stuff like that and he sees like oh they're on camp like me like we can just be like this it's okay uh, but then very interesting at the end how he sort of balances back out where he keeps that dis- defining look but he's very distinguished you know you could just tell in in the way he carries himself that he cares now and that uh you know he's got a much better attitude about things and that he's you know he's going to be okay he came out the other end um so that's hard i feel like that that's really good acting (laughs) for me it's like he's doing an amazing job in this movie yeah i think the only other real note that i have about this movie that i want to make sure we talk about is when we, we we sort of discussed it briefly but when he goes down to mexico and he meets up with willem dafoe who I think is second build in this movie and shows up an hour 40 in. And he's not on screen that much. But I guess also, who would else? Who else would be 
second build, if not him. You know what I mean? It reminded me, Mike, of both Cocktail and Losing It. Like, he's having sex with prostitutes. Losing it. But he's also down in a tropical location. And mm-hmm. I was like, these, again, all these <laughs> it's confluences. The, it's the nightmare mix-up, mashup of Cocktail and Losing It. <laughs> the darkest timeline for both of those, for sure. All right, so we just had some uh, technical difficulties behind the scenes, and Jeremy had to drop off, I think, some uh, bad weather in the New Jersey area. Unfortunately, made him drop from the episode, but we're, we're toward the end anyway. Yeah. So I got some, uh, some trivia for you, Mike. So this was, we were talking all along that this was, um, Cruz was nominated for Best Leading Actor. This won Best Director uh-huh. and Best Film Editing that okay. year. It was nominated for Best Picture. It lost to Driving Miss Daisy, a.k.a. The prequel, The Green Book. <laughs> that, uh, I remember that being huge. That I was a little kid, but you could not escape Driving Miss Daisy. Cruz lost to Daniel Day-Lewis from My Left Foot, oh, so okay. that was another That's, sort of you know, landmark. I've never seen that movie, but... I haven't know, either, but into a role. Daniel Day-Lewis gets nominated, he usually wins, right? It was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, and Best Original Score. So, did not win any of those, but very decorated film, both two wins and a bunch of nominations. No, uh, no song for the Spotify list. This time around, I noticed. No, born on no. the 4th of July. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Although, uh, Tom Cruise was actually born on the 3rd of July, so this is almost oh. uh, a, a biography. Not really at all about it. <laughs> uh, Cruise did win uh, Best Lead Actor at the Golden Globes, so he won. A, he did win a trophy for this. Sweet. Um, he was also nominated, I think, at the BAFTA. It won Best Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Lead Actor, and Best Screenplay at the Golden Globes, right. and was nominated for Score. So that was... Uh, some pretty important stuff there. Yeah. Uh, the real Ron Kovic gave Cruz his bronze star for his performance in this movie, which I think wow. is pretty cool. So Oliver Stone wanted to film the parts of this movie in Vietnam in Vietnam, and the people were like, mm, that's probably not a great idea. <laughs> so he uh, instead filmed it in the Philippines. Like, he did a lot of stuff in Texas for the America stuff, and I think Mexico stuff. And then he filmed in the Philippines for the Vietnam stuff. Okay. But there's not a ton in Vietnam. The part where he gets paralyzed in some sort of flashbacks and stuff like that, but... There's not a lot yeah. over there, but still, There's don't the, film over there, man. Yeah. Movie magic. And it's the beach. There's tons of beaches everywhere you can yeah. film on. I actually thought, at first, when they go to the beach, I was like, is this training? And I was like, oh, no, this is like, this is war. Yeah, you're right in the shit. I think the only movie I've seen about Nam with training is Full Metal Jacket, where you actually go to, like, the island where they train and everything, but... Because there's, there's a lot of movies where you, you go to boot camp, right? Like, you go to basic training and everything like that, and, you know, you go through the ropes course and whatever, but he here, was prepped. Like, he you're went in to, war. He went to TAPS. He was prepped. <laughs> he did. He already, did, he already did the prep. So I said before that the studio was not sure about casting Tom Cruise, but Oliver Stone, this is his first choice for the role, and this is apparently the only time, or one of the one of the very few times, at least, that the guy that he really wanted to be his, to be his lead actually got to be the lead. That's, so. that's amazing who Tom Cruise has been working with so far. Like, uh, you know, coming up, like all these yeah. heavy hitting directors. This is his 12th movie, remember? And like, yeah. he's got how many all time classics he's already? He's worked with both of the Scots brothers. He worked with Scorsese, you know, mm-hmm. he's worked with Oliver Stone. It's it's crazy. Oliver Stone became the 16th man to win a second directing Oscar for this movie. So that was hmm. a big thing. So Tom Cruise was in talks to be the lead in Wall Street, but then Oliver Stone cast. Charlie Sheen, of course, who was also considered for this movie because, once again, every movie that we do for Cruise Club, Charlie Sheen is once again considered. And he was the lead in Platoon. Yeah. I don't know if it was in Consolation or what, but Tom Cruise got the role here. Ron Kovic is actually himself in this movie. He's in the parade at the beginning, 
and he's one of the veterans that's flinching at the sound of firecrackers, so you can see him in this movie. Huh. There's an earlier version of this movie where Al Pacino, like years before, was going to play Ron Kovic. That didn't happen. He was offered, I think Oliver Stone asked him if he wanted to play Kovic's dad, and he said no. I think, huh. I can understand why. Like, if you're yeah. in talks to be the lead of the movie, like, you kind of don't want to necessarily play another part. Yeah. Like, things, things change and things happen all the time, but I can sort of see from a hubris kind of perspective like why you would not want to do that you know what yeah. i mean or just even you want to be part of the story you want to have the more challenging role or something yeah or it could just be weird being like playing opposite the role you were first originally cast in or whatever i also yeah. saw that this isn't the only depiction of ron kovac's life story right they did oh this, really i think there's like not that there's any other feature-length films but i think there's like um some tv productions and some other attempts at telling different aspects of his huh. life and stuff uh, macaulay culkin had oh, a small part in this, but really? he was cut out. Oh, yep. little Mac. And then the most important, save the best for last, also considered for the role of Ron were Sean Penn and <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Oh, Nicolas Cage. I also forget that he directed Cage in Snowden. Remember oh, yeah. Stone did Snowden? Totally forgot huh. about that. <laughs> yeah. But that's all, the, that's all the notes that I have about this. I think, you know, it's the kind of movie I was just I was trying to say at the top of the show that, like, we could talk about this for yeah. as long as the movie is, but I think you sort of just have to see it. Like, it's a movie that you kind of have to immerse yourself in mm-hmm that you have to just get your way through. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can rent it just about anywhere. I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere, but the Blu-ray's out there. You can rent it for a couple bucks on Amazon or iTunes or whatever. So go do that. I thought it was um, really nice how sort of like our little new format worked well with this particular movie, you know, like finding what we like best, what we like best, yeah. and like using those sort of guidelines because you're right, like we could just, this could be one of those old like two and a half hour podcasts we used to record like way back in the day, you know? So our attempted structure is actually paying off with this sort of epic movie uh otherwise we'd be here all night i think what also kind of helps it is that like back in the day before we had a thousand episodes under our belt because this episode comes out after we released our thousandth episode on the network and we're, you, know, you know you and i are not involved in all thousand but we're there for a majority of them i think the the trap that we fell into early on was that we would summarize too much right like we would just mm-hmm. be like well this scene and like what do we think about this scene and then the next scene and what do we, whatever whatever but i feel like this movie doesn't necessarily i think it's just because of oliver stone's style which we talked about before doesn't lend itself mm-hmm. to that kind of recap yeah because a lot of it is similar but a lot of it is also wildly different and i think it's hard maybe intentionally so to sort of separate one scene from another mm-hmm. they're like oh right like he got into a fight here and then he was sort of disillusioned here and there's individual moments that you remember that you'll that'll stick with you but i think the way that the story is told it's this blend everything swims together mm-hmm. which i think we talked about earlier is both kind of good and bad yeah yeah it's almost like you're watching like someone's memories or something like it's a, there's a weird sort of like poetry in in the style of the way this movie flows like that you're right like there's almost like at times it feels like a dreamy sort of sequ- like it's more of like a dream sequence type of film other times it feels like super grounded and realistic like uh, but it all gels together really well uh, did you have any other notes about this movie before we play our games and nominate this movie for some awards? Just that I'm glad I got the chance to revisit it, because I don't know, like, I got so freaked out as, a, like, a teenager trying to watch this the first time that, um, like, I honestly wasn't sure if I'd ever sit down and watch this movie, but I'm really glad that I had the opportunity with podcast to sort of make me sit down and watch it again, because, uh, yes, like, that first, you know, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, still creeps me out, but I understand it a lot more, and I understand what he's doing 
with that sort of Americana uh, imagery and how he wants to contrast that with like the realities of war and you know every, I just I just get it now I think you know as 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 a teenager someone who hasn't been as exposed to as much um, like film and literature as I am now like it plays entirely different for me and I, I really was surprised about like how powerful this movie is like it is it's a strong powerful movie yeah it's crazy how good this movie is and it's like I don't always want to give like Oliver Stone credit but I have to where it's due it's like you know I don't and that's the thing like I I don't know like I can like just one movie from a certain one or two of their movies and not like the rest and that's how I feel about Oliver Stone like it just does it doesn't always it doesn't always work for me but his Vietnam movies are fucking awesome yeah now Mike our two games are both going to be either the easiest they've ever been or the most difficult because there are so many mm-hmm. roles for both things but we'll start off with the other Tom if Tom Hanks was in Born on the Fourth of July. Do you think he could play the Tom Cruise role? I think it's sort of a resounding, well, hmm. he's going to be Forrest, but I don't think the, the, the Tom Hanks that we've seen so far could do it. No, me neither. I, I hate to say it. He's just he's just not there yet. Like, he'll get there for sure, but Tom Cruise, like, was born there. It's weird. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm still shocked about how, like, fully formed he, or how just about he is where he's going to be, like, how soon he gets to where he's going to be, whereas with Hanks, we're really seeing him develop. So I don't think he, I really don't think he's there yet. I, I think he would fit as, like, one of the, like, the platoon members, or maybe his buddy, you know, how he comes back from Nam and he's got his other friend who has, like, the steel plate in his head, I think. He's got, like, the big scar. Oh, yeah, his, yeah, yeah. I think like that would be a good Hanks role in this movie like something supporting but also traumatized and like dark and all, but not full on bleed yet uh it's just remarkable like the level that Tom Cruise is at already I'm shocked like I think modern day Tom Hanks could play a lot of the elder statesman roles in this movie right like I think yeah. he could play Tom Cruise's dad I think he could play the father of the son that Tom Cruise killed as young Tom Hanks in 89, and we're not there yet. We're still a couple years behind because Cruz has made fewer movies, and so I think we're two or three years ahead of where we are for Hanks. But just through the 11 that we've seen that we've talked about, I agree that he can't really play the Kovic role yet. We are going to get a very brutal war movie in Saving Private Ryan. Like, we're going mm-hmm. to have that side of Tom Hanks. I think a friend, like you're saying, I could also see him as... The friend, it's kind of a that-thing-you-do-sort-of-ish role, but the guy who stays at home to be a business, go to business school and run the burger joint. Like, I could see him doing that as well. And I feel like, and again, maybe it's just hair blindness, but I feel like visually those two guys look very similar, the guy that you said, the guy that I said. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like they're kind of, the movie's not about them, obviously. It's about Tom Cruise's character, but it's kind of like they both have the same kind of haircut and both the same kind of, like, facial hair and the same they were both friends with Cruz or you know what I mean like it's yeah one went to Nam one didn't go to Nam exactly like and the it's, same it's not exactly comparing them to those two it, he the one could have been the other or vice versa mm-hmm. but I think that's definitely like the secondary character who's got a couple you know great lines great scenes great bits of dialogue whatever but yeah not literally in every scene of this movie Tom Cruise no. but now if you were in this movie Mike if you were going to Stanley yourself if you're going to Stamio yourself into this movie oh boy who would you be where would you be what would you be doing oh well uh, oh i forget i can't be at, i can't be a soldier i'm too old now oh right i keep forgetting <laughs> remember i have problems with this game now because i keep casting myself too young um <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm, I'm just gonna i'm gonna be a real obscure cameo i'm gonna be the guy who's like driving the car 
that Tom Cruise is sitting in in one of the parades. Like, I'm going to be okay. real low-key hard to find in this movie. Like, I'm going to be wearing shades and a uniform and a hat and everything, and you're never going to be able to tell. But, you know, at least it'll be age-appropriate. <laughs> you know, I want to give, not that we're not giving Oliver Stone credit, but, like, the fact that he was able to basically recreate, and I know that Veep kind of does it too, but, like, recreate the convention like that, like, it is just oh breathtaking. The amount of people, like the the moving parts that he has in this, you know what I mean? Like, and he's got two cameos in this movie. Did you catch that? He plays. I don't know if it's the same reporter, but he plays a reporter on TV in Vietnam, and then he's the reporter next to Tom Cruise at the end um, at oh, the convention. Huh. Where would I be? Maybe I would be the friend, and I don't know. I, I'm I'm losing track of it because it's so early in the movie. But maybe I'd be the guy that Kira Cedric goes to prom with and then loses her to Tom Cruise at the dance. I also thought like that was kind of a thread that I was glad that didn't pick up, and I know that this is all based on his life, and it's not you know Hollywood mm-hmm. movie magic or whatever, but I think there's a version of this movie that you see where he loses the girl because he doesn't want to date her as a kid, and then you know gets her back at prom, and then he writes her all these like beautiful letters from overseas, and instead of sort of going on her own path, like she sort of is like, let me let me take care of you, let me help you, let me fix you, or whatever, and she stays in his life. But I feel like because it's based on real life, it feels more authentic mm-hmm. that she's like, no, I've got my own thing going on. I love to see you. I'm you know glad to spend time with you. But at the end of the night, where the priest or whatever that they were going to have for the event drops out, she basically is like, oh, by Tom Cruise who took a train to get here who's in a wheelchair, uh, I got to go figure shit out. Like, we're not, we're not a thing. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I like that she comes back, but I also like even more that she's not a cornerstone linchpin of his life the back half of this movie, where I feel like if this was a fully fictionalized story, she might have been, you know? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because that's right. That's an interesting thing. Like, I actually didn't... I was kind of thrown by the presence of her character a little bit, but then when she came back, I got it. I was like, okay, he sees, like, it's never gonna happen, and, like, we're on two different wavelengths, and she's against the war, but... But I did like how that starts to open his eyes a little bit into being like, oh, you know, like this is someone who I obviously love and and, and care about and everything. And her position on the war is that she's against it, you know, and it's like, hmm, how does t- Tom Cruise's character kind of reconcile that? Like the woman he loves is against what he stands for sort of moment kind of thing. And then he sees like when the co- that that whole the riot and everything that takes place at the. Uh, at the yeah. school and everything, like yeah, I, I like what she stands for and everything, but I do, I, I agree. I, I almost wish like there was a little more going on there, but not so much that they became like the romantic, like storyline and stuff. Like that was clever not to do that. Yeah. So we have a mail, we have an email address here on the show, run at cageclub.me if you want to write it in and let us know what you think of the show or the movies or Tom Cruise. Uh, you know, he's got his upcoming movie Luna Park coming out, which I don't know much about, um, but if you're looking forward to that, let us know. We also got a Patreon page at patreon.com slash cageclub. If you want to control what we watch, you can do that on there. But Mike, I've got a very important question for you, and I think the answer is clear. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? And he's running all over the place. He sure does, yeah. I mean, you know, at least <laughs> at least for like the first half hour or so, he's running. Oh, that's a, oh boy. Uh, yeah, that's a very uh, important distinction to make. But yes, he's running when he can. He is running all over the place. And even when he's in the, the crutches, he's you know, doing the crutch version of running. So he's still got that vim and vinegar. That was the craziest, like the upper body strength to do that. And you know, he did multiple takes, 
right? Like Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe how far he went around the room just like that. Now, the other question, I think this might be the first time that I'm firmly a no. We have Harper Effect. Harper Effect on Twitter says, you can replace Tom Cruise's character name in every movie with Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. Maybe because it's based on a real person? I don't know that you can replace Ron Kovic with Lightning McQueen. But maybe? What do you think? The serious answer, no. Joke answer, he does have wheels in this movie, so he's close as he's ever going to be to Lightning McQueen physically, I guess. But, you know, (laughs) I can't can't in good conscience say yes. (laughs) That would be cool if he uh, painted his wheelchair red and just had the, uh, the, the, the stripe on the side. The last thing to do on the show is to nominate this for awards, and I feel like, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I feel like this could set a record for most nominations. (laughs) Best film, yes. yes. Best director, filmmaker, yes, Yes. Oliver Stone. Two for two so far. Best cruise role, yes. Yep. Most badass role? I mean... Tops and Top Gun. I feel like, yeah. Like, it's a different kind of badass. He never contemplated suicide in this movie, right? And, like, I thought for sure that scene was going to come up where, like, he put the gun in his mouth or anything like that. And uh, you got to be one tough motherfucker to not do that <laughs> in this movie, you know? Like, the in the, you know, just in the position that he's in and everything. Like, dude, super depressed and every I, I don't know. I'd say he's a badass guy, yeah. Speaking of motherfucker, the word fuck is uttered, I think, like 270 times in this movie. Uh, so even for a movie that is 145 minutes long, that's Still almost two a minute, so there's a lot in here, but I think it's well used, I think. I mean, I didn't notice it. I didn't. It didn't feel gratuitous, I'll tell you that. It, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot. Like, I noticed that there's a lot, but I never felt, as we're recording this, even three days, or as you're listening to this a week ago, the Deadwood movie came out on HBO. <laughs> Cocksucker. And... <laughs> That's a move. Like, I don't get offended by swearing, but uh, that bothered me in that show because I just felt it was. I know it's authentic, and I don't want to get into a Deadwood diatribe here. Right. But I was just like, I it it bothered it bothered I mean, me to it, an extent. The, the right? guy's name is Swearinger. Like, so yeah, I know, but it's <laughs> not know, just though. him. It's I it's know, Calamity like... Jane. It's you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the dialect of the West. <laughs> Best fight. It's him against. Do we want to? Ron Kovic versus the system? Well, that's great. I was going to even nominate him versus Willem Dafoe fighting in the middle of nowhere when they get kicked out of that car. Uh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea that he fights the system and he wins. Best theme song, soundtrack, score? No. I mean, there's a John Williams score is nominated for best score, but I don't know. Do you want to nominate it? It's weird. Like, of all the stuff, it's the one thing that I was like, felt was a little, was like too heavy, was the score to this at times. And too, I, I, I just wish it was a little more of an updated score. I guess I just got too much of like that orchestration kind of bothered me throughout it. So. And I also feel like, even though it's in the award title, we're not really going for score as much. I mean... We're looking for song, right? Mostly. Like, Legend's not on here, and Legend has mm-hmm. sort of an iconic score. I mean, we talked about how that didn't necessarily work for you with Tangerine Dream. But yeah, it's more like the juking box musical, to quote Andrew Lloyd Webber, as, or Paula Tompkins as Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, where it's just like the, the different songs he recognized from, from here and there or whatever. But I'm okay not nominating that best car chase oh i don't think there is one don't think so best dance scene i want to say at prom right prom hell yeah best cruise outfit slash wardrobe yes i mean there's at least two ron when he's got like the the crazy facial hair and he wears like his uh, army jacket all the time right i feel like that's a big look for him i also feel like cruise military cruise and nom i mean that's not as wacky of a wardrobe but like he looks crazy with like the sleeveless 
you know, he's sleeveless, he's out there on the beach, and, like, he's just fucking all in it. That looks, like, to me, like the Tom Cruise version before he gets blown away. Yeah, I'm going to nominate the, the first one you said, just because mm-hmm. that's most of the movie, as opposed yeah. to just, you know, five or ten minutes. Yeah, he's but a very distinguished sure. look. Does he wear sunglasses on this? I don't think he does, or if he does, it's not noteworthy. I can't recall. Best death, he does not die. Best line, I guess here's... Penis. Here's... Penis. Well, that, that's, that's going to be the best freak out, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it or leave it. Like, that's a big line in this movie. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, so for sure, the freak out, there's a line that he says that we didn't talk about that I like the love it or leave it one better, but I'd give everything I got, all my values, just to get my body back to be whole again. It's like, whoa, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, that really hit me when I realized that, like, he lost it before he ever got to use it. He never, like, he went to Nam a virgin, right? So, like, when he got injured, he was paralyzed from, like, mid-chest down. He could never, like, get an erection again or anything. Like, there's no, like, he lost his manhood. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a lot to get over. (laughs) That's hard to keep going. Thus, you know, making him even more badass. Oh, I do want to make note, and I kind of want to nominate this as well for best dance. He does a wheelchair dance. Oh, a drunken wheelchair dance. Yeah. With a girl that, like, he's hitting on who looks like she's 12. Like, she looks mm-hmm. so young. And maybe that's just a different style, you know what I mean? But, like, maybe she was 18, 20, but she seems very young. And she, luck, like, you know, rightfully so, is just like, <laughs> arms distance from you, drunk, scary uh, old man. Creepy guy at bar in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but drunken wheelchair dancing and born on the 4th of July for sure. People say, if you don't love America, then get the hell out. Well, I love America. Which I think is a pretty... It's heavy, yeah. And it's interesting how eventually he gets out. Like, he actually leaves because he doesn't love it yeah. anymore. <laughs> Best sex scene? I'm going to say well, no. There's the prostitute scene. I know it's not exactly sex, but it's, you know... It's There's something nice about that. Just the idea that she she knows everything that's wrong with him and is still going to try and, you know, give him pleasure as much as possible or something. There's something really sweet about that moment. But then it's All right, like, so I'll say paralyzed pleasure... But then it's totally ruined when Willem Dafoe, like, in the next scene or something, freaks out because the chick made, like, the the prostitute made fun of him for not being able to get an erection. So I was like, what the fuck is going on down there? Well, I also think, you know, what's really sad for him, and it's sort of the naive, like, this is, in a sense, like, his first, not first girlfriend, but, you know, first girl that he's had relations with. yeah. And he goes to that pawn shop and he buys her, like, a bracelet, and then he sees her walk down the stairs and, like, grab that guy's dick that she just walked down with. And, like, I think he just gets so either, again, disillusioned or sad or disgusted by it that he just wheels away. And then, you know, I think that's when he takes off with Willem Dafoe. Just, like, he experienced this thing that he's never experienced before, kind of falls in love a little bit, you know, wrong, wrongly, buys her, like, does tries to do a nice thing, and then just gets burnt at it, or burnt by it. But so, man, forgot about that, but that's a bummer. <laughs> Most athletic feet. I'm going to say uh, yep. speed crutching. That was insane. Uh, best running scene. Through the rain to prom. Better than the one. The other one that I remember is the dream sequence where he's paralyzed and he's sitting in the wheelchair and it's like he's in the white room. I actually thought he we cut and he's in a mental ward. I thought that was heaven. Okay. Yeah. See, it, it, it really tricked me. I thought this was reality, but then he stands up and starts walking and then he runs towards the camera. That one's pretty interesting too, but I don't think anything is as sort of emotional and just 
iconic as him running through the rain like that. It's just perfect. And we know that it's not going to win because it's not him running a mile and a half in Fallout, but <laughs> worth like calling out. Ankle. <laughs> Best or worst love story? I'm going to say no because that's not the important thing well, here. What about between him and America? No. <laughs> we don't have to pull that. But I'm just... going to say no. Best ensemble cast? I feel like yes. Like mm. it's not the same way as Taps, the Outsiders of Top Gun, where like, we know like eight people. Like we kind of know 50 people. What's weird, too, is, like, I don't recognize a lot of this cast. As, like, the mom and dad I don't recognize. And, like, yes, I knew Kira Sedgwick and stuff. But, like, it feels like a an ensemble of just people I'm not... I don't know. Like, it's weird in that way. It's not, like, ensemble in that, like, there's all these heavy-hitting, you know, classical right. actors and stuff. But, like, everyone in here is, like, really good and bringing it, you know, so, like, that they should all... Go, they all should have gone on and really famous. But, I mean, you got, you know, at least Kira and Willem out of this more... And I think that brings us to our last little thing that I don't know that anyone necessarily fits into the best or worst non-cruise actor, male or female, just because I don't think there's enough of anyone on screen to really warrant that, right? No, yeah, I don't think so. Like, it's not a bad thing. Like, that's just, that's not the movie that he made, that, that Oliver yeah. Stone wanted to make the story he wanted to tell. Like, this is about Tom Cruise, it's about Ron Kovic, and everyone else is just in his story. It's not like we really know mm-hmm. who they are. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. So we have four, 14 nominations, Mike. Yeah. Best Hell film, yeah. best director, filmmaker, best role, most badass role, best fight, two for best dance scene, best outfit wardrobe, best line, best freakout, best sex scene, most athletic feat, best running scene, and best ensemble cast. So yeah. I figured, because it's a longer movie, because it's a very well-made movie, because it's a uh, an engaging movie, I thought that we are going to have a lot, but that's still... That is a lot of a lot of awards. <laughs> I, I almost forget like we have that many awards to nominate for. What are we doing? <laughs> we're gonna pare it down at the end, but I feel like we're we're starting small, branching out, and then we're gonna come back together at the end and just All sort right. of narrow it down. But for now, fourteen awards. Enjoy it, Oliver Stone. <laughs> Mike, our next Tom Cruise movie is gonna be Days of Thunder in two weeks, Ooh. so that's gonna be very exciting. Never seen it. Neither have I, so that's very, very exciting for both of us. Next week on Hanks for the Memories, we have Every Time We Say Goodbye, which I do not know. Also, um, never there's Solo Bolo. Yeah. You know, last week's episode, we did nothing in common, just you and me. Not a great movie. <laughs> uh, short little episode. Again, we're going to do another movie that neither of us have ever heard of that hopefully is better, hope, but hope. we will see. Lots of lots of Tom Tom stuff every Friday here on Friday's the Cage Club Podcast Network. Any other last thoughts about Born on the Fourth of July before we uh, close up shop? People definitely got to see this one. It's yep. all, it's crazy. This is like I think this is the first. This is definitely the best movie we've seen, and he's done so many good movies already. But like to be able to to say like this is for me, this is the best so far. You know, I'm ranking all of his like just uh, just how I do for all the podcasts that we do. I'm ranking all of his movies on Letterboxd. I'm at Soul Popped over there, just like I am everywhere on the internet. It's really difficult at the top right now. I have this second behind Top Gun because I just. Again, the lists don't quite make sense. Like, I don't even know how to rank them sometimes, but it's a combination mm-hmm. of how good the movie is, I think, plus how much I enjoy it, plus how good I think he is in it, and all this different stuff. But, like, at the top, we got Top Gun, we got this, we got Risky Business, and we got The Color of Money. Damn. Four movies that I think are just, like, fucking awesome, right? Dude, like, like, they're just ugh. great. Four movies that, like, you could stop right there, right? Like, anyone else could just say, like, if I had those four movies in my 
but and like on my oh, list. Oh, and Rain Man too. Oh, that's right. And Rain Man, like yeah. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't realize it. You know, like after until you go back and you sit through them all and stuff. It's like, damn, I can't believe these all came one after the other. My favorite Hanks movie, Money so far, Money Pit oh, would yeah. be probably seventh. Like, I think I would still have mm-hmm. Endless Love above it, just because Endless Love is so crazy that I want to watch that over and over again. And, like, I enjoy Money Pit, but, like, Money Pit would be right above Cocktail. Like, but there's, you know, there's, like, of the 23 things we've covered so far, the top six, I think, are all Cruise, which is just, man, we are, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches in our Cruise Club. Yeah. But for all things Cruise Club, all 12 episodes of the show so far, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us run at cageclub.me check out our patreon at cageclub over there and come back next week for our hanks for the memories episode of another movie that you mike and i have never heard of so go check out and subscribe to that feed wherever you get podcasts like this one i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and we'll be back in two weeks for days of thunder top gun on the ground right here on cruise club